of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. I just want you all to get some perspective about the temperature in the church. <laughs> this is warm in New Hampshire. <laughs> this would, people would be wearing shorts, all right? So, um, if you, uh, we were called the other day and somebody reminded me, and, and this will go well with my sermon, that if you're in touch with your breathing, it can warm you up, okay? So just <laughs> breathe deeply. <laughs> Today we get two names of the Savior, two names of God, Emmanuel, God is with us, and God saves. Names that give us hope, claiming a status of being here, now, salvation here and now, today, in this place, with these people, and with our God. Our God who saves, our God who is with us, always. God is so close to us. To God we matter, and our matter, our flesh and blood matters to God. It always has, and it always will. In one of her books, Madeline Langle wrote this poem, and I hope I can read it as it's meant to be heard, um, and it, it, it's, it's beautiful. Peace is the center of the atom, the core, of quiet within the storm. It is not a cessation, a nothingness more. The lightning in reverse to is what reveals the light. It is the law that binds, the atom structure ordering the dance of proton and electron that finds within the midst of flame and wind the glance in the still eye of the vast hurricane. Peace is not placidity. Peace is the power to endure the megatron of pain with joy, the silent thunder of release, the ordering of love. Peace is the atom's start, the primal image, God within the heart. And if you're not a, one who likes um, poetry, the, the pieces that I really love and cling to on that is, peace is the power to endure the megatron of pain and the primal image, God within the heart. God is with us, God is the ground of being, God is the center, the peace at the center of the Adam. God is Jesus who saves, God is with us. Poetry helps us put wording to the great mystery. And that child whose birth we prepare for, that flesh and blood, the fragile flesh and blood 
that feels a cold and feels discomfort and lives through the pain that humans find in the ins and outs and day to day of life and also that joy. Jesus, the one who saves, Emmanuel, God with us, and every corner of our lives and every atom in which we live and move and have our being. We are reminded of this today. We're reminded of these powerful names that call us, call us to service, call us to wonder, call us into friendship with God and each other. And we get the very human story of Joseph today. The story of Joseph can go at least two ways. I always see a million ways you can enter into every gospel text, but to keep it within the confines of an Episcopal sermon, I've chosen two. <laughs> the story of Joseph can look, be looked at with a sense of judgment. He should have known to do right by Mary without a dream, judgment says. This judginess, we're reminded, can only really come from a perfect human being who's never hesitated in the face of betrayal. A perfect human being who has never felt fear when circumstances dramatically change. This judginess can only really come from someone who has never loved and felt insecure. And so, yes, I think you can tell I don't like this perspective. Because <laughs> there's only one person that is perfect and Jesus would not smack-talk his earthly father. <laughs> so another way to look at this text and the story of Joseph in this moment of time is that he was just doing the best he could, which is actually, in his day and time, was actually more than other fiancés or betrothed would have done. He didn't want to disgrace Mary or himself. He just wanted to dismiss her quietly, not to hurt her or cause scandal or ruin their futures. He just wanted to get it done in secret as quietly as they could, which was a very hard thing because to end betrothals in that time was a very public thing. But maybe Joseph was just doing the best that he could. And God had to prompt him beyond making the best of a bad situation. Beyond that resignation that entered into his being. 
He had to be prompted by the Holy Spirit beyond those limits of his sight, beyond that very human resignation, and into and onto hope, which can carry us so much further than our own sense of what we can do. I was in a meeting recently where the topic was hope, and there were so many descriptions of hope, including the actual definition, which you yourselves can look up. But one of those definitions was a, a trusting, an ability to trust. And we would say, I would say, that Joseph was prompted by the angel to trust in God, to trust in God, to hope in God, to make a way out of no way, to hope in God, to go beyond the right thing to do, to the God thing to do. In that meeting, a lot of people talked about hope as light, which is the way we speak about an Advent as well. But when I was thinking about um, this dream of Joseph's and this gospel, I was thinking about how Joseph needed to catch a breath, take a breath. And I started thinking about hope as breath and as Holy Spirit. When I waste my breath in unwise ways, trying to control someone in a certain way or cajole someone in a certain way or uh, complain about things that I cannot change or when I use my breath in unwise ways like trying to convince people that my way is right. I, I, I lose a sense of hope. I lose a sense of trust in God. I try to trust in myself. And God is so much more powerful. When I hold my breath as well, when I hold my breath clenching my teeth or waiting for something bad to happen or just not knowing what to do. I freeze and I hold my breath. I also lose some hope because I, I'm not getting the air that I need for that peace that is within the heart of God that Madeline Langle wrote about. But when I can breathe steady in tune with the forces of life and the Holy Spirit within me, hope returns. There is a, a piece of writing from Eduardo Galeano who speaks of hope in this way. For me, hope is something that I would have when I wake up, but then I lose it at breakfast. Then I recover when I can get some sun and 
feel the sun on my face in the street and then after walking for a while, hope falls back through a hole in my pocket. And I say to myself, where was the hope? And I look for it and I can't find it. And then, straining my ears, I hear it there, croaking like a tiny toad, calling me from the pastures. I have it, I lose it again. Sometimes I sleep with hope, and sometimes I sleep alone. But I never have a prescription for hope, store-bought, that's good for everyone. A dogmatic hope that doesn't color outside the lines. It is a living hope, and therefore, it is not only safe from doubt, but it feeds on doubt. Because I have to trust in God. Joseph could hope again, could breathe again, after the dream prompted him to do more than simply the right thing. It prompted him, the dream, the breath of God, the, the, the hope of the Holy Spirit, it prompted him to do the courageous, even sacrificial thing, to risk his own reputation, his own future, his own sense of ego having what he thought was a betrayal from a person that he was committed to. He risked in hope for a more vulnerable person, for two more vulnerable persons, for Mary and the infant Christ. The dream, the spirit, the breath of God prompted him to do more than the right thing. It prompted him to risk trusting in God and to become a partner with Mary and birthing Christ Jesus. The baby whose breath, whose cries and laughter, whose first words and early learning, whose preaching and prophecy would offer new life and saving grace to those who would risk belief, even when riddled with doubt. Hope is not something easily earned. The strongest hope is gained on the other side of doing hard things, of facing hard truths, of the megatrons of pain, again, citing Madeline L'Engle, and doing even more than just the right thing. Hope is born doing things God's way, which are always rather risky, or at least out of our comfort zones. And yet Joseph followed the dream. He found that in the face of betrayal, he was able to go beyond doing just the very basic right thing and do the risky thing, do the courageous thing. Another poem. Oh no, I'm dreaming again. 
as if last time never happened, as if my plans had succeeded, as if my heart was unwounded, but somewhere in the distance I hear the song of tomorrow. Then as I lift my head to strain my ears to hear it, before I know it, my neck is straight. My eyes are up and I remember we can light new fires on the embers of old ones and despite myself, I am dreaming again. So this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, a very, very busy time. We've made it a very, very busy time. Parties and plays and um, presence, and yet I, I offer this simple advice. It's advice that someone gave me after the wedding rehearsal at my and Elmer's wedding so many years ago, and they said it's all done now. It's all finished. Don't get upset if something doesn't go perfectly, if the flowers don't show up, if somebody gets sick, if you forget to write the name of uh, who gave you what present where, if your train is twisted. Don't worry. And I give this advice to those who are married here at um, Trinity on their wedding rehearsal evening. Let it go. Just let it all go. Don't worry about the tree. Don't worry about the, the wrapping. Don't worry about the perfect present. Celebrate the love gifted to you by God. That is the thing. That is the thing we celebrate. That is the wonder. That is the hope. Amen.